Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Spark Sesh, a podcast by MindSpark Research International dedicated to bringing you stories about the inspirational people behind the products, services, and brands you love. Today, I actually have two guests with me, and I'm really excited about this because this is the first time that we're trying this new format, and everybody that I've mentioned this new format to has been really stoked. So you guys are actually, or you gals, I should say, are actually the first to help me get it off the ground, which I really appreciate. One. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, talking about innovation, you are the first. Um, exactly. So um, my two guests are, well, I'll start with Michelle. I've got Michelle Gansley with me, who is the Senior Director of Foresight, Innovation and Portfolio Insights at Mars Wrigley, which is the very snazzy title, which sounds really interesting. Um, so currently, Michelle is leading the Insights transforma Transformation at Mars Wrigley, uh, pushing the boundaries of MarTech and digital adoption and creating a more future-focused organization. Michelle has 20 years of experience in marketing, market research, and business development, mostly focused in consumer packaged goods industry. Prior to living in Chicago, Michelle had the opportunity to live and work in Europe for four years. And in her free time, Michelle loves music, traveling, the world, checking out new restaurants, most of those things she has not been able to do in the last month, um, which makes for a very sad Michelle. Um, and she hopes to get to 100 plus countries before she dies and can't wait to travel again. Wow. I don't think I'm anywhere close to 100 plus countries. That is definitely an ambition to strive for. Um, Nikki, you can jam out like 25 in an hour. <laughs> Maybe not in an hour, but it's true that I should definitely make more of an opportunity. I should take more advantage of all of the countries that are around. But once the borders open back up again, I will have to do that. Um, and we also have Ina Pasales with us, who is a senior solution specialist in image guided therapy at Philips, which I'm also like, this is also a very snazzy title that I have no idea what that means, but we will get to that. Um, and so Ina says, when I'm not connecting people or building clinical proposals, I'm an amateur chef to a professional picky eater, my husband. Cooking is my meditation and love language. Travel is my source of inspiration and excitement. I've done extensive work in personal growth areas and believe that there's always something new to learn. Understanding myself better helps me enjoy the world around me more. So welcome, ladies, and thank you both for joining me so early in your morning. No um, really appreciate it. <laughs> um, so for everyone listening, and the reason why I wanted to have two folks um, joining on this particular podcast is I really wanted to shine a light on how researchers doing anything from uh, consumer insights work to user uh, user research, consumer, um, customer experience, behavioral economics, all of that kind of stuff. I wanted to shine a light on how those of us who call ourselves researchers work and the way that I can best shine a light on how um, our work impacts other people is to have someone that I would call a non-researcher. Um, so maybe someone who is still doing research, but not necessarily on the consumer side, not necessarily exploring packaging or marketing or user experience um, to have them on and have us all have a conversation together about the kind of research that we do and figure out what are the things that are a little bit less clear about what we do? What are the things that are super interesting? What are the questions? And yeah, have it be a learning experience all around. So that's the intro. Thank you again, ladies. I'm really excited to have you. 
And uh, I thought maybe we could get started with Michelle. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about something that you've done at some point in your career or maybe something you've worked on uh, while at Mars Wrigley so that kind of the world can get a sense of, you know, what exactly does somebody who is a senior director of foresight, innovation and portfolio insights do? Man, who? Um, <laughs> The title is long because it's actually three different teams, a foresight team, an innovation team, and a strategy team. Wow. Um, but the, I think the, the things that most people can most tangibly understand and the things I probably talk about most, like with Ina, is um, around innovation because that's a tangible thing that they can see, touch, and feel. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously highly involved um, in developing innovation and innovation strategies as well as most recently like a lot of people out of COVID, the realization that we need to be much more forward thinking and forward focused instead of always looking to the past. So Mm. we've just developed a foresight team. So I like to throw out little tidbits that I learn along the way. Like my favorite, most recent tidbit I learned from Jamin Brazil's podcast um, (laughs) is that, did you know, by um, I think it's in the next, by the next five years, the minorities are going to be the majority in the United States. So there will be like 49% of the population will be white and 51% of the population will be all other ethnicities. Amazing. I know. Right. So that's like mind boggling. So what does that, what does that kind of tidbit mean for a company like Mars Wrigley? What does that, you know, trigger for you in terms of foresight? Well, I think we've been a company that's focused on the broadest possible definition of users. So category users, general population, we make products like minimums for the masses, um, but it's a realization that that's not really a viable strategy anymore. So if mm-hmm. we wanna be successful in the future, we have to understand, of course, where there's sameness and opportunities to reach as many people as possible, but also where there are meaningful differences that we need to pay attention to. And that's like a whole different way of doing research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Ina, you and Michelle are friends. So you obviously have heard a bit over the years. I don't know how long you've been friends. How long have you two known each other? Uh, About six years. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how often you guys end up chatting about work, but I imagine it's not the most rare piece of conversation. I know me personally, I talk about work a lot. So I would love to know from your perspective as somebody that, you know, is working on equally interesting stuff, um, but isn't necessarily working on, you know, this consumer under the consumer research umbrella. What are the kinds of things you think about when you hear Michelle describing the stuff that she's working on? I think it is very interesting uh, because my work is so specialized and so focused in healthcare area. And then mm-hmm. we do it, it's not really for a broad audience. Uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody is going to have um, a use of whatever I'm working on. So it's always interesting to me, how do uh, companies make decisions? How do they develop products for really everyone in the world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I do like hearing about all the discussions, all the brainstorming that goes on, um, all the thought process that goes on behind the, all the products. Uh, my favorite conversation I've had with Michelle once was, I said, I think M&M's changed their formula. And she said, they did not. They did not <laughs> change their formula. And I said, but I don't know. Maybe it's my taste buds. Maybe it's whatever. So I set off on a path to try out all M&M's again and to prove to myself that, no, the formula hasn't changed. Um, whatever I tried it, maybe I had something else before that. So it changed the taste. 
so it's very interesting how um, we think that um, M&M's is M&M's, chocolate is chocolate, and how precise and particular the company is behind it to deliver mm. the expected results. Yeah. No, that's super fascinating to hear your point of view. And I think, I don't know, Michelle, if you have the same experience, but I think one of the things I hear the most is that people really do sometimes forget that there are a lot of decisions being made at the company level. So um, I think that's one of those things that, you know, people find really fascinating thinking about, um, well, any type of research, but as I work mostly in qualitative when people realize that the information that they give you or the opinions that they're sharing with you are going to impact something a company does, um, in a lot of cases, they kind of light up and they say, wait a minute, so I'm actually going to be helping M&Ms potentially change their formula. Um, so I would love to hear from you, Michelle, like maybe what are some experiences you have had over the years where you have really been impacted by something that you have seen or heard or learned from a consumer? Yeah, gosh, you know, that's never been more important than it is today, right? Especially with Gen Z's where they just crave that conversation and be able to co-create. And so it is, I love that point that you made, because of course we do that through research naturally, but now I feel like that's becoming even more important to absolutely and let them know how we're incorporating their opinions. Um, well, I guess one of the most famous examples is, um, and I love bringing this up because it oysters up a lot of motion and drama, is the decision that we made a few years ago in Skittles to move from lime to green apple in our flavor pack. <laughs> but as you can imagine, we did extreme amounts of research to prove that actually um, more people preferred it with green apple than lime. But the people who did prefer the lime were very passionate about that, and it sparked um, years of debate on the internet and customer service, et cetera, around Lime versus Green Apple. <laughs> so now we even like to annually bring Lime back and we'll launch a, a package with Lime again. So there's support um, groups for Lime versus Green Apple. The, the great Lime versus Green Apple debate continues. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an example that we made a decision based off of consumer feedback. However, with every decision, you're going to have consumers that aren't happy with that decision. Yeah. So I love that. And I, again, I, I'm turning back to you, Ina, just to kind of know when you hear things like this, you know, and you hear that, okay, there was a decision to make a major change in the formula of Skittles and it comes from like the consumer perspective. What does that say to you as somebody that's sort of observing this from afar? Or actually you're, you're technically someone that participates in it, right? Because you're not necessarily on the research side, but maybe sometimes you fill in a satisfaction survey or maybe you participate in like a an interview here here and there. So how does it feel to be on the other side where you're actually giving information to companies? I'm a big reviewer. I like writing reviews, mm. positive, negative. I like them all. Uh, Why do you like about it, by the way? I use a lot of reviews for my decision making, for shopping, mm -hmm. for restaurant picking, for traveling. And I feel like it's giving back to the community if someone took the time to um, share their feedback on something. I should do the same for people going forward. Mm. So I'd like that um, kind of interaction with the rest of the world. But I do often wonder when I'm at the checkout line and I'm standing there looking at the new, maybe it's just like a special flavor of the month or the season, or if it's a new um, type of uh, candy bar that's been introduced. And I wonder how did they arrive at the conclusion that this was needed? 
and sometimes it's uh, something that's interesting to me. I love dark chocolate. So anything that's with dark chocolate, I'm like, yes, I am here for it. Let's go. But <laughs> some things, um, mint chocolate is not my jam. So whenever I see a new candy bar with mint chocolate, I'm like, who needs this? But obviously, I understand my uh, view of the situation is very narrow, focused, and selfish. Um, so I think <laughs> it's a very uh, tight rope that organizations walk to maintain what's already been established and already well-received by the world, but yet still uh, keep themselves interesting and innovative and surprising. So how do you decide we keep this and this we're going to change up? Uh, so it's always very curious. And th the same thing in my work. Um, uh, Philips Technology has been around for over 100 of years. So how do they decide that in this uh, version of uh, software, we're going to keep these elements and we feel like these ones need to be improved? And I feel like sometimes it's a hit and I'm sure there are times when it's a myth. So it's important, I feel, for all companies to be able to pivot quickly and be nimble in terms of their changes and accepting feedback um, real time. Mm -hmm. So Michelle, what's your reaction to this? Like word of word from a, a shopper who is yes to dark chocolate and no to mint chocolate combos. <laughs> <laughs> I well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's why I love actually chatting with my friends or you know shopping with other people and getting their reaction to products or to I don't know advertising. Um, is to hear like their thought process on what's working and not working. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, totally agree. And that is true. I mean, technically, I don't remember, Nikki, you might know the number, but it's like 95% of innovations do fail. So mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. But that's sort of the nature of the game is to track people with new things. And so a lot of times we put out things that we can do versus what maybe we should do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually also loved, Ina, that you said that you kind of see reviews and things as giving back to the community. And I saw, Michelle, that you also were like nodding when she was saying this. And it made me think like, wow, I'm not sure that I treat research like this in terms of like someone who is the recipient of research. You know, I also think that if I'm if I give a review personally, let's say I stay in a hotel back in the days when I stayed in hotels. Um, <laughs> if I gave a review, I was like, yes, I'm helping other people. But I'm not sure that, you know, do our research participants feel like they're really helping people? And are we as researchers doing a good enough job ensuring that they feel appreciated and that their opinion matters? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Michelle. It's just a random yeah, <laughs> question that occurred to me. I almost feel like it's a better question for Ina. When, <laughs> if you participate in research, do you feel like your your point of view matters? Mm, I think uh, on such a large scale, it's hard to see an immediate impact. Mm. But I do like to share it. Um, I don't have strong opinions about a lot of things, minus mint chocolate combination. <laughs> Uh, so if I do have a very strong opinion or I had a very uh, a vivid or distinct experience, I do feel that it matters. And I wonder if it's because it's so uh, powerful to me. I assume it's very important and powerful to everybody. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I do feel that um, somebody somewhere is a benefit benefiting from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is why, like, when you're on TripAdvisor or even Amazon, people can mark and say when your review has been helpful. So that's a very nice feedback feature. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like for bigger stake things like Airbnb stays, you know, uh-huh. so the more bigger stakes, the more I feel personal responsibility to giving feedback. Uh, because, you know, the, I, I'm sure you've all experienced the Airbnb reality was nothing like the photos, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want future people to get entrapped like I did. <laughs> so, yeah. So especially when it's things like that, where I feel like I got duped by reviews or lack of reviews, then mm-hmm. I feel more responsibility than if it's something like reviewing a candy bar. Yeah. And I know that there's also this sort of, I don't want to call it a movement necessarily, but it feels like a movement to me, which is that if I'm buying a product, even if I'm not making the purchase on Amazon, I will go on Amazon and look for the reviews because I know that there are so many reviews on Amazon, but there may not be on like whatever site I'm buying it on, or maybe something similar. If it's a product in a whole new category, like, you know, obviously I had a baby a year ago. And so suddenly I was trying to test out things I knew nothing about. And I would literally go to Amazon and read reviews of products or similar products before making a decision. So it's true that those reviews can be really helpful, but something else you said, Ina is, Um, about having a strong opinion. And I feel like that's one of those things I say a lot, you know, during the research that we do is that you don't, you don't need to have a strong opinion for it to count. Like, even if you feel lukewarm about something, that's still really useful for us to know. And so I wonder if there are people out there who think, oh, I'm not going to participate in this conversation or I have nothing to add because I don't feel strongly about it. When in actuality, I don't know how you feel, Michelle, but in a lot of the work we do, it's actually the nuanced stuff in between that we really need to understand. Do you want to see the mean? <laughs> This this is the, the, the this is perfect zoom snow. <laughs> um, I think it depends on the situation, because uh, oftentimes I am on the fence about things, and that's where I do want to have a conversation, and I do want to know what other people think, so I could potentially um, make a choice or have a change of opinion. Um, but I think if a, a subject in general is not of a a great uh, um, interest to me or I'm not as involved in the subject in general. Like right now, if somebody asked me if I have preference in tires, I'd be like, they're round, they're rubber, fantastic, love it. (laughs) (laughs) But if it's something more close to me and more relevant, then I would want to share an opinion for the sake of the conversation to maybe Mm -hmm. evolve my opinion or um, just to give it because whatever the subject is, is important to me. Mm -hmm. That raises a really good point, actually. And I know, Michelle, it kind of touches on something that I think is important to you, which is um, going beyond just uh, conversation into the idea of collaboration, right? And I know, Michelle, actually, you said at the very beginning that what's important for you in the work that you do and in your particular title across all of your teams that you are leading is the idea of creating ideas with, for example, Gen Z, not just creating ideas for them and then having them react to it, but actually creating ideas with them. Um, So yeah, I think that's a great kind of segue in terms of how can we do a better job of having the research process be more collaborative rather than just us pinging people and say, how do you feel about tires? And then getting some kind of moderately interesting feedback. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a tough balance, right? A line to walk, but you know, we, we're trying to experiment with things like we have like a Gen Z ambassador panel that we mm-hmm. um, use to, to chat with or 
trying to use more behavioral type methodologies where we're actually just getting them in their natural life habitat, doing what they're doing or talking about what they're talking about so we can glean from them what's important to them without having to ask. So it's not always about like having a direct conversation, but mm-hmm. it's about putting ourselves in the shoes of our consumers um, and really trying to deeply understand them. So it's, I think it's a combination of all the above, but you know, one company that I admire Glossier, I don't know if either of you know them, but they're just a completely D to C um, like face makeup, beauty regimen company. Oh, wow. Some of their products are co-created through ratings and reviews and feedback from consumers. Mm-hmm. So it's like an interesting model, like where it's gone from like, yes, they take the opinions of their consumers to literally hundred percent of their R&D comes from oh. feedback from their consumers. So I think, um, th- I think there's the gamut of all of that going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. And I think that it's one of those things, as you say, it's sort of a fine line to walk because some people are not, necessarily getting it right, or some brands, I should say, are are not getting this kind of collaboration balance right. Obviously, you can't also be um, 100% driven by what the consumer wants necessarily, because then maybe you would have ended up with only lime and only, only green apple Skittles because they, you know, incited so much of the, of the world. Um, Or, you know, for example, maybe it's a matter of, um, people preferring things that are not sustainable or, you know, ingredients that are not, you know, able to be, I don't know, uh, used regularly, things like that. So obviously it's about hearing feedback and relying on it to an extent that people's voices are heard and products become and and maintain relevance, but not relying too heavily on consumers. So I think it, it is tricky. And you also mentioned as well, Michelle, at the beginning, the idea of letting people know that they have you know, contributed and what you've done on the back of their feedback. And I know, um, for example, one of our mutual contacts, Roddy, works at um, Feedback Loop. And I think that's um, one of the things that they, you know, are really trying to do is kind of improve these sort of agile processes. And the I, just the name Feedback Loop for me, I'm like, why do we not reach back out to the people that have participated and say, hey, thanks to your feedback, we created a new flavor of Skittle or whatever the case may be. And maybe maybe you do that, Michelle, I don't know. But in the work that we do, it's very rare that we get to tell people, you know, every all the great ideas that have come from the conversation and collaboration with them, which I think is a missed opportunity. Totally agree. But I think with GDRP and all the rules we have around data privacy, I feel like that's going to get even harder to do. But I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, wouldn't it be cool you know, if you got like feedback from Costco and they're like, thanks for your ratings reviews because of that, we're doing this differently in our stores. 100%. Because that would feel so important. I mean, I already do, but this would just... <laughs> 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 this would be off the charts. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to tell them more about what I think. <laughs> and I don't know if this is what you guys look for. Is more information better? Or is it their point where sometimes, okay, this is too much now. We, we got what we need. Um, I think it can be both. In my case, um, I think sometimes more information is good. It depends on you know what you're trying to solve, what question you're trying to answer. Sometimes we're trying to get at stuff, and it's like we just need all the details. Like an example could be, you know, what are all of the criteria that you consider when shopping for a car? Let's say, 
we know that uh, the car buying process is really, it's emotional, it's really long, it's really in-depth. There's a lot of different criteria. There's cost, there's look, there's emotional connection. And so the more information we can get out of you about how you go through that process, the better. And then there are some things where, you know, we want to understand what your actual behavior is. And as Michelle was saying, if we ask too many direct questions, we start getting answers from you that contradict your actual behavior. And then we can become a bit confused and not really sure, you know, which direction we should take or which decisions we should make off the back of that, um, off, off the back of that information. So I don't know if, if you agree with that, Michelle, but I think it, it definitely depends on the objectives. Yeah. I mean, for me, the best insights come from observed behavior versus directly asking because whether it's in, we don't intentionally mean to do it, but we often post rationalize. Mm. Right. And it's not our truest intentions or our truest reasons. So, I mean, we're big fans at Mars of trying to get to observe behavior where we can versus asking people directly questions. Because if like the car thing, what's the most important thing? Most people are going to say price, but it's mm-hmm. never. Safety. Really yeah, safety. It's like, and it's like, no, I just want to look like a badass. <laughs> that's the, that's the real thing. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Price is important. Safety is important. But how do I look when I step out of my new Tesla or whatever? Okay. How do I look being safe? <laughs> do I look at being safe? <laughs> it's, it's very true. Same thing in our business. If we are working with clients, we uh, often ask in the beginning, what is important for you in this project? And they will tell you what's important to them in the project. But and then as the process goes on, you start wondering if uh, what they told you was important was in fact <laughs> truly what was driving them. Yeah. Interesting mm-hmm. parallel. Well, I think it's great, actually, you know, this question that you asked a minute ago about, you know, is do you want always all the information possible or is there kind of a limit? And so it just made me wonder, are there other kind of things you wonder about in Michelle's world in terms of like her exploration with consumers and trying to collaborate and innovate new solutions? Are there are there any questions that ever come up to you when you're you know hearing about some of the stuff that she does? So I would say on like a very elementary level, when I do see things that um, are so unique, uh, I can't really think of one uh, off the top of my head. But if I see a product that's like very unique and very uh, different from what uh, the brand has put out before, I often wonder, what did that conference room look like? Look like? Did they all sit around the table and uh, throw out ideas? Uh, like, um, how about uh, mint chocolate Twix? Or how about coconut something, something? And then they voted on what they're going to go with. How does this happen? How did this come to the Jewel Asco near me? <laughs> what did it happen? Yeah, so I do wonder about that. And that's a good point because I would say, you know, when we talk about work, it's mostly either about the end thing or about people, mm-hmm. topics or issues, right? It's really that I'm like, so today I did this quantitative research study using a mobile app you know like (laughs) tell you about like how the cake gets made yeah Uh, so I imagine Michelle that that's a very difficult question for you to answer what Ina was just saying like how what does the conference room look like who was in that boardroom and how's the conversation it's probably different depending on the product the team the whatever but do you have any kind of you know, what would you say to like any old consumer who like if you're walking through the shop and you just happen to overhear someone picking up like, how did they come to the decision on th- to do the pack of Skittles like this? You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I feel like I, especially with my boyfriend, I feel like I get that a lot. He's <laughs> has opinions about things, um, especially like commercials, right? Like that commercial is terrible. Why would they have done that? And I'm always like, well, <laughs> let me explain you why they did that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think my normal like short answer is you wouldn't believe how many millions of dollars and, you know, hundreds of people hours went into deciding that pack, that price, that flavor, that um, advertisement. <laughs> so I think if people were really asking, I would probably break it down. Like, let me tell you all the different types of research studies that go into that or all the data sources we use to come to that decision. But I think the average person would be horrified if they knew that, right? Like, okay, you're telling me that that Skittles, it's just another flavor, took all of that energy? <laughs> like, you know, if you really think about it, the amount of resources that go into the innovations that we do or the advertising creative that we make is crazy. Yeah. And does anybody ever come in and say, great idea, love it, too expensive, doesn't make business sense? Yeah, of course, all the time. I mean, for every innovation that we launch, we probably killed 10 of 10 other innovations because it didn't, either consumers didn't love it, we couldn't do it at the price, you know, that consumers were willing to pay for it. Um, mm-hmm. We couldn't make it in their factories. Millions of reasons why good ideas never make it out in the world. Gotcha. Do any of them kind of come back from the dead? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> zombie innovation, zombie product innovations. Well, that's the best when you've been working at a company for a long time like me is to be like, let me pull up that that concept that we've tested three other times over the last fifteen years. <laughs> and how often does it stick the second time around? Well, a lot of times it's the idea was the right idea but yeah. it was the wrong time to launch it or um, we couldn't make it at the time, but technology moves on and now we can make it. So a lot of those ideas that get recycled, they were good ideas. We just couldn't do it for one reason or the other. So yeah, most of the time if an idea is getting recycled, there's a reason. How interesting. Hmm. This is like the best conversation to me because I'm just watching Ina's face being like, wow, I never thought about this. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted to happen by bringing you you two ladies together. It's just, yeah, I, I think about this all the time is that, you know, in, in, in our work, we, our job is literally to hear from people and to understand how they feel and to understand their opinions. But we don't actually know how they feel about the work that we do. So it's, it to me feels very much like, thanks for your two cents okay bye and then you know I go away and I do something with that information and then maybe if the idea you know gets um made then they might see something on the shelf or they might see a new piece of uh creative on tv that they had a part in but there's plenty of times as you say for every idea that succeeds there's 10 that are killed which means how many times did we talk to a consumer get their feedback and then nothing they see nothing off the back of it. They just are like, well, I just talked to somebody about this new ketchup label and well, nothing, nothing's changed. Still, still the same ketchup label. (laughs) And I wonder about that all the time. Like what must people think of our industry? This is why it's so fascinating for me, Ina, all the questions that you're asking is just really eye opening. I love the discussion. There's so many of these things that I didn't think about either. (laughs) It would be fun to ask more, um, and user and consumers who take market research that question because I kind of feel like people who are in the industry are willing to participate in market research whatever kind that is whether it's from ratings reviews to focus groups to filling out a a survey 
it's because people generally love to help and love to give back and love to give their opinion. Right. So I wonder how many people, if you ask them, they're like, yeah, I would like to know, but most people are probably just satisfied to give their opinion. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, (laughs) I think to a point, yes, but I think they would be even more excited to give it if they saw the impact they were making. Yeah, everybody likes to tell uh, everyone around them what they think, um, but I would, I, I think they would make even more um, effort and put more thought into it if they felt uh, the conversation was both, both ways. Yeah. Michelle, why do you think we don't do that more, just as an industry? That is a great question. I don't know. I've never really um, considered that. Probably logistically, that would not be easy to do. Um, but I'm going to throw this back at you because this is the thing that I always talk about with my supplier research supplier partners. I find it super interesting that we all make it our job to understand consumers, but speaking of feedback loop, most supplier partners as they're developing new methodologies, like 90%, I'd say, wait until it's fully ready and sellable in the market and then like show it to me like, Hey, Mm. I have this new idea, but why, why don't supplier partners talk to their customers about stuff that they're creating and get feedback from us along the way before yeah. launching products and services to us? That is also a great question. That is an excellent question. I, I have to believe that some of them do. I mean, especially those that are, you know, in the MarTech space. I can't believe that somebody just you know, thought of the idea of a piece of tech that is supposed to help market researchers or, you know, user researchers, and then they just don't talk to anyone doing that work and then continue to develop it. Don't get me wrong. I've seen my fair share of tech that has come out and they're like, this is for you. And I'm like, it is not. I can see how it could be for me (laughs) if you make these adjustments. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of the, you know, technologies that we've come to rely on in the last couple of years, I think the companies are doing a great job. But, you know, The other thing you said too, Michelle, about how people in the industry are kind of willing to participate in things like surveys, I actually find that not to be true. You know, so I will talk about SMR coming up, but as a good segue into SMR, um, it's really hard to get people to complete the membership survey. Uh, And, you know, we're market researchers and we're like, fill out the survey because we need this data in order to improve the services we offer you. And, you know, it's not that we get no feedback. We get enough to have some meaningful data. But you would think, given our industry, that we'd have close to 100 percent participation and we don't have anywhere near that. So I think it's I don't know. Well, as you were talking, you know, going back to this idea of why don't we give feedback, whether it's you know, within the industry or even outside of the industry. It's true that how would you give feedback? How would you even approach the idea of giving feedback to, let's say, Ina, I don't know, participated in a conversation and she was like, dark chocolate covered Skittles all the way. And then the idea got killed. So what do we, what would we say? How would we give that feedback? And, you know, how would we kind of close that loop and say, thank you so much, Ina, for your really passionate <laughs> conversation and opinions about dark chocolate. But it, we've decided it, it sounds it, when I imagine it, it sounds almost like not being hired for a job. Yeah, like rejection. You know? We've yeah. decided to go in another direction. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But if so- you only gave positive feedback. 
like we you gave us this piece of information you shared these opinions with us and uh we worked them into this product and we wanted to thank you yeah or you could also say you know as a result of your participation we ended up you know we were able to save x millions of dollars by not going to market with a product that i don't know would have been I'm super cynical but that is actually true um mm-hmm. i can tell you for sure from a big company a perspective that there is a fear that the down- other side of that is that you know might come and try to sue be like well that was my idea therefore i have rights to Um, are part of that and that's like a very real concern um I don't even know if I should share the story or not but when my niece when she was like nine had to write a letter to a company and she wrote to Mars and wrote this letter like super sweet it was like I love them and they're the best did you know that they were started after the war I think you should make a strawberry or fruit filled M&Ms and put fruit flavors like strawberries in the middle and she got a letter back and like thank you so much for your inquiry blah 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 just to let you know um, you know, basically we don't take ideas from consumers and you can't sue us if we ever launch this in the future. <laughs> like this little nine-year-old got this letter from Mars be like, thank you, but don't sue us if we ever do this in the future. <laughs> you know what? That yeah. does make sense. I wonder if that happens. Do you know, Michelle, if that happens with your teams globally? Because I wonder, like, is that because the United States is, States is such a litigious culture? Because I, I can't imagine that happening in France. I know, right? <laughs> like, I think a French person would be like, oh, they took my idea. Voila. I'm a genius. And then they would just buy it all the time. Yes, exactly. Je vous en prie. And then they would just buy loads of the product and offer it to their guests. Oui, moi, je suis le... Oui, c'est, c'est mon idée, ça. And they'd be like, mm. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder if it's an American-only thing. Yeah, but it's a good point. And I wonder, that raises a really interesting point for me, which is what happens now with all of these concepts of labs, right? Because everybody's doing like the innovation lab, the agile lab, the co-creation lab. We're even doing it. MindSpark has an, an innovation lab. And so, yeah, what does that mean if everybody's kind of a afraid? Like co-creation is such an important part of innovation. Um, so what role does that fear play in you know, really ensuring co-creation remains a part of the process. Well, I wonder if in like the lab environment, it's more um, legally and regulatorily. Yeah. It's very nice for 7.30 in the morning. Bravo. <laughs> because, <laughs> right. I'm more controlled mm-hmm. versus going out to broad public where anybody can say anything. Also, I was thinking as you guys were talking I wonder if there's also a concept of too many cooks in the kitchen. And that's why people don't ask for supplier feedback and uh, end user feedback more than they do. Because they're like, Mm. there's just going to be too much of it and it's going to become confusing. Yeah. Um, And sometimes it's not accurate, but sometimes it is. But yeah, so with the lab concept, I think it's just more controlled versus just letting anybody write letters about fruit-filled M&M's. (laughs) <laughs> just anybody shut those nine-year-olds down <laughs> i'm gonna lose my job after this but that's fine <laughs> no 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 <laughs> hopefully not hopefully not it's it's fair you know i mean it's sad but also it makes perfect sense that they would have had to send such a letter 
Um, so I know we're kind of getting towards the end of our interview time together. So I kind of want to, you know, I, I'm really trying hard mentally to avoid saying pivot. So I would like to turn the conversation in a slightly different direction and say, so Michelle, so we've been talking about all this great stuff about what do consumers think about what we do and, you know, how, what are some of the questions that they may have that Ina has raised some really great, great questions that I hadn't even thought of prior to this interview. Um, and, you know, there are lots of things that researchers do in order to pay more attention to the work we do, to the consumers that we engage with, et cetera. And one of those things is, you know, being involved with an association like SMR or an organization like SMR. And so Michelle is actually running for SMR council this year. Um, and it's your first time ever running for council, I believe. It is. It is on council and running for vice president. I am. Yes. And so, so I would... <laughs> exactly. And uh, there's a lot of great people in our networks that are also running. So if anyone's listening to this, um, feel free to check out the really impressive list of candidates for SMR Council Class of 2021. You should be able to find that with a quick Google search. Um, but Michelle, I would love to hear from you. What made you decide to run for council this year? Yeah, I... Over the last few years, I've gotten more and more involved with SMR and with the industry in general. And, and what I've realized is how much I get from connecting with peers externally um, and how, um, how much influence that I can have also by being more involved with driving things that matter, like how do we recruit the next generation of researchers? How do we think about diversity and inclusion in the sample? How do we collaborate better? So I've gotten so much out of it personally that I wanted to give back in a bigger way. And I think the best way to do that is through the SMR Association because it plays such a pivotal role, I believe, in our industry. Mm -hmm. Awesome. You, and what's, what's had you stay involved for so many years? Oh, well, I keep telling people, I think that people must hear my story and be like, this is very you know, it's very emotional, I think, my connection to SMR, which is, you know, for anyone who doesn't, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know me, and also for, for Ina, who knows me less, this is our first time interacting. Uh, so I'm based in France. I have a baby who's going to turn one in less than two weeks. Um, so she's a lockdown baby. Thank you. Um, and I am the founder of a, a little, you know, uh, like basically user slash consumer insights, strategic kind of innovation agency. None of these things would exist in my life if it weren't for SMR, not a single one of them. I wouldn't have my baby if it weren't for SMR. I wouldn't be in France if it weren't for SMR. I wouldn't have my company if it weren't for SMR. I went to my very first ever international market research conference in Athens in 2010. It was also Kristen Luck's first ever uh, market research event. We did not meet at that event, but we were both there for the first time. And it just exposed me to things about my work that I didn't realize I was interested in until I saw them. So as you say, Michelle, it was a lot about connecting with my peers. I learned so much. At that time, I was a young a young professional member. Um, so I think I was like 27 or something like that. Um, so I, I joined SMR back then. I learned a ton. I ended up getting a job offer in France. I accepted. I moved. I became focused on international work as a result. I worked with that, you know, great company for a couple of years and then left and started my own thing. And I, you know, I just wouldn't be here today if it weren't for all of the resources that SMR has provided to me. Um, so as Michelle said, it, it is partially for me about giving back because I do care so much about you know, SMR has literally provided so many, it completely just 
game-changing, valuable resources for me that I want to make sure that the, you know, organization is still around and doing the same for people, you know, in in the next up-and-coming generation. But I think more than that, I, I'm really passionate about the work I do. And it really, this conversation that we're having today about what do consumers think about what we do is exactly the thing that has been behind me even starting my company. Um, I want to make sure that, you know, we don't lose that sort of human connection with each other. I'm a big believer in AI. I'm a big believer in machine learning and technology. And I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. I think we need to hold on to that kind of human touch and connection as this technology grows. And I think SMR is absolutely the organization that is in the best position to make sure that we keep, you know, both of those things above board and and, you know, at the highest quality and protecting the people who participate in our work. We we would have nothing to do. We would have no work if it weren't for the consumers. So they need to trust us. They need to be protected. They need to understand what we do. Um, so that's why I wanted to get more involved with SMR. But I would love, you know, Michelle, you have some really great perspectives on a couple of points, particularly diversity and particularly collaboration. So I would love to just kind of know if you do get elected to council, what are some of the things you really want to make sure you work on in the coming two years? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, I think around the topic of collaboration, I think um, what I've noticed is that oftentimes buyers and suppliers are feeling unheard and underappreciated and we're, we're not connecting the dots together, but the true power and the best experience that I've had is in collaborating with suppliers and co-creating new ideas or just having hard conversations about what's not working for each side in terms of driving more business together. So for me, I, I want to help bring the voice of the buyer to the table and help with creating those bridges so that we can collectively together build the business of the future and think about what matters when it comes to uh, like the point you made around where are we going in the world of data and research tech and insights. Um, with diversity and inclusion, I, I would say we're still at the beginning of the journey. I've just, it's become super painfully apparently right. clear, not just in how I recruit people on my team and making sure I'm reflecting the communities that we work in, um, and being much more diligent about that um, is also just in research sample and design. I feel like it's a topic that wasn't even being discussed two years ago. And now I feel like it's a conversation I'm having every day with all my research suppliers on how do we make sure we're setting up a sample design that's both uh, inclusive and brings to light the meaningful differences with all of the many, you know, subgroups or different tribes. People like to use the word tribes now. Um, so for me, I don't know that I have all the answers, but I know that it's super important and it's going to become more important. And I'm interested in helping to solve for that with, um, with folks in the industry. Excellent. Well, um, I do want to turn this over to Ina one more time before we close, because you just heard us say a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of jargon in there about, you know, sample and recruitment and tribes and targeting. And I just want to know, like, is there anything that you heard either of us saying that jumps out at you in any way? Could be positive, negative, could raise some questions. Just what are your thoughts when you hear all of this? A very interesting conversation. Thank you again so much for having me. I learned a lot. Um, I, I feel that it's so interesting how important collaboration is across so many businesses. And really collaboration and inclusion and inclusion are kind of like almost, almost the same thing. And I feel like, um, especially in this last year, it became so um, apparent 
how important it is for us to collaborate as people, uh, mm. collaborate as organizations, uh, as teams, with other teams, to better understand uh, ourselves, a world around us, so we can respond more appropriately. Uh, like We are all living in the new reality right now. We are all learning at the same time. So the faster we connect with uh, the buyers, the suppliers, the customers, um, the teams that are working on the other side of organizations from us, I feel like the faster we'll be able to provide meaningful innovations, something that uh, consumers, users, uh, clients, hospitals can use and actually benefit from. If we get working in silos and in our own um, isolated vacuums, coming up with genius ideas, I feel like they will never become as um, important and helpful if we work together. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Man, this was amazing. Well, I, I will <laughs> thank you both again for making the time to chat um, with me about this today. It was really eye-opening for me to hear from both of you um, about what you do and kind of your your respective um, positions on all of this. So um, with that, I will bring us and this episode to a close. And thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you. Have a good rest of your week. You too.